So, as we were discussing that Swami, when Sri Ramakrishna was alive, to understand the implications of Swami Vivekananda's message, we will start with one of the incidents in the life of Sri Ramakrishna. When he was alive, he was one day sitting on the bank of the Ganges at Dakshineshwar. And on the middle of the Ganges, a steamer was just passing. It was just in front of him, but it was in the middle of the Ganges. And after some time, when the steamer has passed quite a long distance, it has went away from his vicinity as if still it is visible, but it's quite far off. And then suddenly Sri Ramakrishna saw that the waves are splashing on the banks of the Ganges. The one who was accompanying Sri Ramakrishna, to him Sri Ramakrishna made a very significant remark. He told, do you know the life of the great personalities? It is something like this. When you are with them, when they are contemporary to you, sometimes it's very difficult to find out that what's the true impact of their life. It's only as they go far off, just the way the water, the waves which has already started when the steamer was pa passing through the Ganges in front of them, the waves have started, it has started there, but it was yet to reach the bank. So it was not as if visible. It's only when the steamer has gone quite a far distance. And then it was, we, we, we find that the, the splash of the water, the water is splashing. That's something which you can see, which you can experience. So the more the, uh, time passes, we find that the message, the profound message, its implication is realized more and more by the humanity in general. That's what Sri Ramakrishna was indicating. So here also we will find that as the days are passing, we find that the implications of Swami Vivekananda's message is becoming more and more something, uh, it is unfolding. In the words of uh, Swami Vivekananda himself, just he, he used to say that he himself has mentioned that I have given a message to the world for 1,500 years. So that's something very, very significant. For 1,500 years, his message is there for the entire humanity. And we find that many aspects of his life, his message, his teachings are gradually unfolding. But as we told, as we mentioned, that we would try to, we will try to find out the central theme of his message. Now the central theme of his message in his own words is that he wanted to preach the human's divinity. In his own words, my ideal can be indeed put in few words, that is to preach unto humankind its divinity and how to manifest it in every moment of one's life. So today we will restrict our discussion in this uh, words of Swami Vivekananda. 
that is ideal indeed can be put in few words. What? That is to preach unto humankind its divinity and how to manifest in every moment of one's life. So there are two things. First, to preach the divinity that each and every human, the core of his being is divine. Now the question is, even when we know it, after knowing it, what to do with it? Does it have any implication in our life? And that's the second phrase of his teaching, what he's saying that the second uh, aspect which he's mentioning is to manifest. But first to realize the divinity within you and then how to manifest in each and every activity of your life, in each and every moment of your life, that's his message for the human kind. So what he's indicating actually, that first we do have to realize the spiritual core within us. And then that has to find expression through our day-to-day -day activity in each and every aspect of our life. As Swami Vivekananda used to say that nothing is secular. Everything is spiritual. Spirituality cannot be a part-time affair. It has to encompass our entire life into our entire uh, our, our actions, our feelings, our thoughts, everywhere it has to permeate. So what actually he was indicating, we will find very interesting, even Sri Ramakrishna used to say the same thing, that for most of us, spirituality is just a part-time affair. Very fun, very in a very jokingly he used to say, that our spirituality is just before breakfast. As you will find in the Indian tradition, most of the people that when they wake up in the morning after their morning ablutions or shower, uh, they have some most probably a corner in their house where they go for some spiritual practices, which finds expression as some rituals. Maybe they will be sitting in front of the altar. They will be showing some incense and uh, most probably they will be uh, offering some flowers, meditating for a while, maybe offering something. And when they come back, change their dress, dress themselves for the office, sit for breakfast in the table. Now he's a totally different person. Now his entire life is going to be something secular. It has nothing to do with the spirituality. So there is as if a watertight compartment between the spiritual and the secular. So that's what we think of our spirituality. The spirituality doesn't encompass the entire of our being. It is restricted only to particular hours of our prayers, our vigilance, a particular rituals or meditation. How it can encompass our entire life. That's the thing which Swami Vivekananda is speaking of when he's speaking of spirituality. That real spirituality is something which is not mere ritualistic. It actually speaks of attitudinal change. You change your attitude. And then whatever you're doing, 
can become a spiritual act when you can change your attitude. So that's the thing which Swami Vivekananda is indicating. That first we have to realize that we are the divine being. That our existence as we think that we are born at particular point of time, we are going to die at particular point of time. And even when we are living, we are going through constant change. In our scripture, they speak of Shara Vikara, the six changes, Jayate, Asti, Vardhate, Viparinamate, Apakshyate, Nasti. We are born, we exist for some time, we grow, and then in the middle age, the transformation process starts, and then the decay process starts, and the Jara, Vyadhi, Mrityu, these are the things which we all have to go through, the death comes. The scripture says that this is all the surface. The real me is the spiritual being, which is always in eternal present. What, what, what is meant by eternal presence? The thing which has no transformation. For such a thing, there cannot be any time. It was, it is, it will be just as it is. As the spirit, as the self, as the conscious principle, we are in that eternal present. We are the truth. In Sanskrit, they speak of truth. What is truth? The Sat, that which is Trikal Avadhita. One whose existence is not interrupted by any phase of time, past, present, future. You are. So this speaks of the eternity of the soul. I not only believe, even if I can realize through my spiritual practice, What's this expression going to be in my life? That's what Swami Vivekananda is speaking. To first realize the divinity and it should find expression in our life. The first expression that will come once we realize, the, have faith in the fact that I am the eternal soul. The first thing that ensues from it is fearlessness. Swami Vivekananda, throughout his lectures, he's saying, if Upanishad has to give any message, if Vedanta has to give any message, it is the message of fearlessness. Abhi, abhi, that's the word he's using again and again. So from where that fearlessness comes, all our fear at last melts down to our annihilation. As in the Yoga Sastra, they speak of abhi sneha, as one of the glaciers, that the fear of death, the fear of annihilation, that's the ultimate fear. All our fears at last can be equated, can boils down to that. So once you know that you are the eternal soul, the first thing that finds expression through our life is fearlessness that nothing can kill me, nothing can annihilate me. As an example, we can say that we, as we find that when we go to some entertainment park and we are in a roller coaster, we all enjoy it. It's a big, it gives us a big thrill. It's not supposed to be. It's so much full of perils. It's just taking us to the top. Again, we are going to the bottom. It's taking us uh, around with Tremendous, this centripetal force. But still, we enjoy, we get the thrill out of it. 
Why? Because we know it has been designed in such a way that I am not going to face any danger. They have designed it in such a way. So even the ups and downs and all those uh, violent movements in no way is making me scared. Even if I'm scared, I enjoy it as a thrill because I know nothing is going to harm me. So once we are convinced of the fact that as the soul, I am eternal, this journey is just a passing phase. It's just a journey. It's not the be all and end all my, of my existence. Just jokingly, uh, many were asking this question during the COVID, that during the COVID we find that Everywhere, people are so cautious, but in India, we find the people are so casual. So I used to respond jokingly, you know, the why, what's the reason? In India, they believe in many lives. So the, the idea is even if this life uh, somehow comes to an end, I am not coming to an end, it is many lives. But in the materialistic point of view, this is the only life. And that's the question of that's getting scared. You will find this idea in many of Swami Vivekananda's lecture that once you know that you're the eternal soul, there is no hurry for you as if. And when Swami Vivekananda was delivering lecture in the West, we will find that there was a very uh, famous uh, orator. Uh, he was an agnostic. He doesn't believe in any religion. His name was Ingersoll. So when he was he used to deliver lecture, he used to just say that this is your only life, live it. Once he met Swami Vivekananda and he just expressed the same idea to Swami Vivekananda in a, with the help of an allegory. He, he told, suppose you have an orange, I have an orange. My aim is to squeeze it to the last drop. Swami Vivekananda responded very nicely, he told, yes. That's my idea also to squeeze it till the last drop. And then he told, but you are in a hurry. You cannot squeeze it to the last drop. You have very short time. I have eternity. I can relax and squeeze it to the last drop. So that's how he was responding. We find when Swami Vivekananda one day was going to catch the steamer and his Western devotees were just asking him to just hurry because the time of the steamer, uh, time to uh, the steamer was about to leave. So they told Swamiji, just hurry, otherwise we will, leave, we will miss the steamer. And Swamiji asked, when is the next steamer? It's half an hour late, later. And then Swami, then still they found that Swamiji is walking at a slow pace. And Swamiji just mentioned, what's the, why to hurry? If we miss this, we will catch the next steamer. And then these Western devotees immediately told Swamiji, you don't have any sense of time. You don't have any sense of time. And Swami Vivekananda's reply was, you live in time, I live in eternity. So that was the answer of Swami Vivekananda, that, that, that rush, the tremendous, always intention, all this comes from somehow the sense of Tremendous egocentric individuality. That this life, that I, anything I have to do with that myopic vision, I have no vision of the future. 
I cannot broaden my perspective and I cannot build on that, build my life on that broadened perspective because of that narrow vision of that extremely materialistic outlook towards the life. So the first thing that comes when once you have that sense that you as a soul is eternal, the thing that comes is that you find that the fear factor is going. You can take the life, even the ups and downs, everything can give you a thrill, just like a roller coaster, because you believe in the eternity. The next thing is the soul in all the religion, what they believe in, the core of your being, the spirit, the soul, the conscious principle is ever fulfilled. Means if you're ever fulfilled, there is no question of desire. So once you realize that you are ever fulfilled, there's to a certain extent you develop detachment in life. And you can experience the real bliss in life. Swami Vivekananda to explain this in Raja Yoga is giving a wonderful allegory. He's saying that our mind is like a lake. In the lake, when there's a lot of, when, when if the lake is in turmoil, it has waves, I can never see the bottom of the lake. But when the lake is calm, there's no wave in its water and the water is transparently clear. I can even see the bottom of the lake. If in, in the swimming pool you have found that if when all are swimming, the water is turmoil, uh, you cannot see the bottom of the lake, but when bottom of the swimming pool, but when no one is there, the water is clean and calm. If something has fallen, you can just look at it where it is. The key has fallen, you can see. So Swamiji is saying our mind is like that lake. Our thoughts, our desires, our feelings like, are like the ripples on it. And that doesn't allow us to see the bottom of the lake. What is the bottom of the lake? It is our conscious principle, the soul, which is Sat Chit Ananda Swarupa. And this is what this Sat Chit Ananda Swarupa means. It's actually negation of our idea of our individuality. Sat means you're eternal. We have the idea as we were saying that I was born, I'm going to die. So Sat negates that, that you're eternal. Now immediately the idea will come, yes, that in this world as matter, as energy, at last we are indestructible. In some form or other we exist, but that is something inert. So to assert to the fact that you are not inert, the essence of your wing, which is Sat, is Chit, that is consciousness. It is the consciousness which is the real existence from which the entire existence has been projected. It is not that the matter has reacted to form consciousness. Consciousness is not an epiphenomenon. The matter is actually, you cannot prove whether matter is there. We are not going to the discussion today, but you cannot prove. But without a witness, it is very difficult to really uh, find out whether really some matter is there or not. Even in uh, quantum physics, there's a very famous quotation that it's only when you are witnessing something, the probability collapses into reality. So that's a field of discussion. Even in science, there's a lot of discussion going on on it. That with, unless you accept the consciousness as the fundamental reality, it is very difficult to define matter. So even in Vedanta, this asserting the same fact 
that you are the conscious principle. That Sat, that ultimate reality is conscious. That is, that is meant by that word Chit, that you are not matter, you are conscious. And Ananda. Now, again, when we accept the fact that I do exist, and I do exist as a conscious principle, but most probably it is just like this life, that sometimes I am happy, and most of the time I am dejected, I am suffering. So these ups and downs are going on. To negate this fact of polarity, Sukha Dukkha, it is something beyond this, the word Ananda has been coined. So these three terms are actually negation of our limited sense of individuality. Now, in our life, we will find, even when the lake called mind is disturbed, the Sat Swarupata, the Chit Swarupata, this never gets obscured. Even when I am unhappy, I am aware of the fact that I am, when I'm happy, when I'm elated, I am. But the only thing which gets obscured, filtered out is Ananda Swarupata. There's a selective filtration that Sat Swarupata, Chit Swarupata never gets filtered, but Ananda Swarupata gets filtered. I am, I am no more aware that I'm happy. When I'm desiring something, I'm fully tensed. I am constantly just hankering for it. I'm anxious. I may get it. I may not get it. And even when I get it, again, I'm anxious. I may lose it. Our relations, our wealth, our position in life is always related with this anxiety. And if when I am desiring something intensely, the moment I get, I feel extremely happy. And I think that object has given me happiness. But is it really true that does any object give us happiness? If you really try to find out the nature of happiness, you will find only desirelessness gives us happiness, nothing else. It is a desirelessness alone that gives us happiness. You may say, how? Now we will go back to the example of Swami Vivekananda. Our mind is like the way, uh, is like the lake. Our thoughts, our desires are like the waves on it. Now, when I am intently desiring something, it is what, what, what it is like. There were thousands of waves in my mind and all the waves are engulfed by one wave that I want this, whatever it may be. It's the latest model car or some electronic gadget, whatever it may be, I want this. And when you manage to get it, you feel extremely elated. What has actually happened? The moment you get it, all the small desires were engulfed by one big desire. The mind had a huge wave in the form of the desire. The moment you get it, the wave subsides. There is no wave at all. The mind is calm. A let go has ensued. And the Ananda Swarupata, which got obscured, that now finds expression through your body-mind senses. It permeates your body-mind senses. So the happiness actually wells up from within. No one can pour happiness. That as if I am like an empty, empty vessel and someone is pouring happiness in me, it never happens. Happiness wells up from within. It is always there within me. That is my nature. All my turmoils and turbulations, all the noise which is going on in, in my mind, is obscuring that. When I 
the moment i fulfill i get my desire is fulfilled for the time being my mind is calm for the time being and that happiness which is already within you permeates through your mind body and senses so now you will understand that actually it is desirelessness that gives us happiness throughout our life as shankaracharya has pointed out that what makes us chase after the desires life after life it is a cycle of avidya karma karma somehow i am not aware of the fact that i am already fulfilled nothing is there for me to want as the conscious principle i am ever fulfilled it is only the mind the turmoils of the mind which doesn't allow me to realize the bliss which is my nature that bliss which i get by the inst- by the fulfillment of the desire for just a moment can become something permanent if i know the art of let go that's what we find in all psychology following the principles of buddhism and vedanta they're speaking of that let go that relaxation that gives the happiness if we can make that our way of life by being more detached by trying to be the witness in every situation of life i have no control over the happenings of the life let it go on but it doesn't affect me i am as if just the witness it's just a passing phase it's going through it's going on you will find in our life if in out of 100 situations we think that we have control over the situation but in one or two cases most probably we may have control most of the cases we will find we have no control over the situation all our happiness all our unhappiness is because we are constantly trying to control the situation and most of the time it is not possible if we would have learned the art of transcending the so called polarities of life by just being the witness by being detached it doesn't mean that i am not uh, endeavoring i do my best but rest assured that even after doing my best everything is not in my hand as sri ramakrishna used to say very nicely that there were two farmers one farmer used to till his land because his father his forefathers have told that don't listen to the forecast till your land and one year the forecast was there that there is no there is there is going to be a drought there is not going to be any rain but as his forefathers have told and he f- uh, follows their what has dictum has been uh, directed through the family tradition he follows it he tills the land and another farmer hearing the forecast doesn't till the land and now suddenly the forecast proves to be wrong and there is a huge downpour now who is going to benefit the one who has tilled the land so the rain is not in my hand so everything is not in my hand what i have to do let me do but there is something called daiva those so many circumstances which is not in my hand they have to all fall to all come together to really make the thing happen so in the life sometimes we just have our what is it too much far fetched desire we think that with my effort i can control everything it's not possible so let me do my best but after that let me develop that faculty of let go let me resign as sri ramakrishna used to say that be just like a dry leaf in the storm that's the idea of let go the more we can develop that faculty so just see 
that divinity, first you acknowledge that you are a divine being, realize that, and it should find expression through the life. So just be fearless, be detached, let the let go, ensure in your life from that sense of detachment, and then you start really enjoying the joy of living. The life in our scripture, then there's a very nice idea of Jivan Mukti, that you need not have to die to go to heaven, that the idea of happiness is not some post-mortem existence. Here itself, here and now, here and now, in our Upanishad, again and again, they are stressing the idea that happiness can be experienced as a way of life, not just as tits and bits. It can be experienced as a way of life if we know the art of living. And that speaks of just a change of attitude. It doesn't speaks of conforming to certain belief. It doesn't speak of conforming to certain practices. And the another aspect of divinity with which I will conclude our discussion today is unselfishness. You know, that's the, our scripture says that the ultimate reality is something which is non-local. The consciousness is non-local. When it gets reflected in the body-mind complex, that reflection creates the ego, sense of ego, that's I. I identify myself with the reflection and then I feel I am this body-mind complex. As an example, the sun on the sky, when it gets reflected on the waves, there are innumerable waves, thousands of waves. Each wave will be reflecting the sun and the one sun appears as many and not only that, with the distortion of the waves, the sun also appears to be distorted. With the movement of the wave, the spherical sound, uh, sun may appear as elliptical. It may appear as in some other shape, but has the really the sun, sun, sun has changed? No, the transformation is just of the reflection. So similarly, the conscious principle is unchanging. Nothing can tarnish it, nothing can adulterate it, but it appears to be as if adulterated once you get identified with the reflection. So the Vedanta is saying that the more you can identify yourself with the reality, not with the reflection, the more you will be actually identifying yourself with a non-local consciousness, which has got localized because of that sense of ego. That ego is nothing. That conscious principle getting reflected in this body-mind complex generates that sense of ego. And that state of ego is a state of disease. You will under the dis-ease, the word disease, what it means? Dis-ease, the ease has gone. When our ease goes, even in our day-to-day -day life, we will find that when I'm healthy, I'm not aware of any particular part of my body. The health, life is as if throbbing through the entire body. I, the real state of health is a sense of bodylessness. You're not aware of your body then only we can say that you are healthy. When I say I am diseased, my ease has gone. When I become aware of a particular part of my body, my head is aching, I have a headache. My heart is, there's a chest pain. There's a knees are paining, back pain. So what has happened when the, I was healthy, I was not aware of the body, it was just the health was throbbing through the entire body. And now I become aware of a particular part of my body. So it has got localized. 
the more your consciousness get localized the more your ease has gone you are at you are diseased your ease you are no more at ease so similarly in spiritual sense the conscious principle which is non local when gets localized it is diseased the more it can find expression through a uh, breaking of the ego boundaries the more it can enjoy peace and fulfillment the entire process of evolution is nothing but the breaking of the ego boundaries just say that the first uh, expression of life is a simple microbe its entire sense of identity is with that small body and it finds a little uh, change of the stimuli a little more strong light kills it a very it exists in a very very narrow parameters and now to fight with the nature what it does it starts conglomerating the various cells will conglomerate it starts relinquishing its ego okay some let us have division of labor it's not that everything i will do you take care of the respiration i take care of the circulation i take care of the digestion so that's what the human body is from the single cell we have evolved as a human being by relinquishing our so called ego as a small limited micro it is now finding expression through the entire body and that's how we have evolved in spiritual sense the final evolution happens when we can get rid of the sense of ego with our limited physical existence psychophysical existence and can realize that the real soul the real spirit the conscious principle is something non local even in our life we will find that there is a happiness in giving i was in welfare section in belurmat for quite few months for about a year or more and there one wonderful thing we found that anyone who comes for help and if you ask him that why you need some pecuniary help we never found it's very rare case someone says that i am in need of money because i am hungry i don't have clothes very few 99% of will say they will say that i have my children i cannot feed them i have my near and dear ones i cannot feed them i cannot send them to school i need some money for them it's very interesting thing that in our life we find that the suffering which we have is only when we cannot really give to others there is a very spontaneous joy in just giving even in our hostels in ramakrishna mission hostel i was there for a long time uh, 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 we were looking after the students in various ramakrishna mission schools and there on public celebration day in my in narottam nagar in midnapur wherever i was there on celebration days we used to make it a point that the student also should serve because there are a lot of devotees they will be thronging and that the prasadam has to be served so we used to insist we will make some duty list and every year it was a common experience they will grumble first they don't want that something has been imposed on them but somehow we used to insist you have to do it and every year we found a very interesting thing when they were asked to do it and when they start doing it 
they were given a very small slot, just one hour slot. After that, the volunteers will take over. Just to give them the taste of serving, we used to give them that slot. And every year, the one who were grumbling, the same boy, after one hour, when the volunteers come to take over, they're not willing. They suddenly have devil got a very a joy out of it. Simply, they're just serving the food. This is the something which we all can experience in our life. Even now, uh, in science, they have started saying that uh, our genes are altruistic. Somehow, that even in Gita, that idea is the Sahayagya Prajasrishtva. When the creation, when God has created this uh, world, these living beings, he created with the sense of cooperation. Those who cooperate, those who have that win-win situation, those who are in that synergistic mode, they only thrive. Others have to be annihilated. So you have to be a unselfish. That unsel That's why Swami Vivekananda's definition of God is wonderful. He used to say, it's, it's such a definition he has given, which is beyond all denominations. He said, he used to say that unselfishness is God. Unselfishness is God. The more you go beyond your ego boundaries, the more you become one with the so-called non-local consciousness, the more, the more you are one with the divinity. So that's the thing that unselfishness, which Swami Vivekananda is speaking of in many of his lectures. So that should find expression through our life. The more we can go beyond the ego barriers. Even in Swami Vivekananda's life, we will find someone came and complained him that he tries to meditate every day by closing the doors and windows, sitting in his room, trying to contemplate. And he finds he cannot. He's extremely restless. His mind is not at peace. So can he was asking, can you teach me how to meditate? And immediately Sri Ramakrishna replied, the first thing I would ask you that not to close your doors and windows, open, look out, see who are suffering. There are so many people suffering. Forget about yourself, reach out, try to help them out. And then you come back and ask me for meditation. So there is, we will find that it is something just like a cash down payment. In this life, for most of us, we all want happiness, but what has happened with us with one example, we will not take much time. Uh, we will just uh, conclude our lecture with this example that suppose there's a mango tree and there are two walls near the mango tree. Hurriedly, you keep to just, uh, and the mango tree is laden with ripened mangoes. And hurriedly to get the mango, you keep the ladder in one of the wall and you climb. And then after climbing, you realize that you have kept the ladder on the wrong wall. That is a bit far away. So you, you cannot reach out. You cannot reach the mangoes. And then you realize if you would have kept the ladder on the other wall, you could have easily reached the mangoes. Now, the effort is same. Whether you keep the ladder in this wall or that wall and you climb up, the effort is same. But in one in case, you don't get the mangoes. In other, you get it. So what it speaks of? In this life, we are all endeavoring, but the wall speaks of our attitude, our orientation. If that is not correct, all the endeavor is, goes in west. We at last find that happiness is something which is always a future tense. In our life, you will find happiness is always a future tense. As a small boy, 
Our parents used to say, when you go to the university, you will be happy. When you go to the university, then again, they say, when you get a job, you will be happy. When you get a job, after that, you think when you get married, then you will be happy. And then the children come and then again, most probably in the retired life, I will be happy. And at last in the church, in all religious places, everyone complains. It is only the old people who come. They think after death, they will be happy in heaven. So always it's future tense. It's never a present tense. And it's because just because in this life, the endeavor is not the thing. The orientation was not correct. Once we have that proper orientation, then whatever we are doing, the life doesn't, we have, need not have to change the mode of our life. The life can grow on as it is, but still we can realize the bliss, the joy of living, the taste of that liberation, even while living. As Shankaracharya used to say, Jivan Mukti, Krukha Prapti, Hetave Janmadharana. The purpose of the human birth is to enjoy the bliss of liberation, even while living. And that is possible if, as Swami Vivekananda is pointing out, that to recognize the divinity within and to, and how to channelize it in each and every moment of our life by how we can do that? Just, just by being aware of the divinity and how to, how that, how to manifest the divinity to every moment of our life by changing our attitude, our orientation. And that's the thing which Swami Vivekananda is highlighting. So that's the, uh, uh, I would just say that and for this, what's required is not just mere change of our behavior. It speaks of the change of the character. When you change your orientation, it's not just, uh, uh, you will find in the present world, it's, we give too much stress to the behavior. And as a result, we find with in spite of all our good behavior, we don't believe each other. Because somehow I find there is some hidden intentions, though people are behaving good. So unless we have proper orientation and becomes more and more selfless, more and more fearless, more and more detached, there cannot be real overhauling of the personality. The change of character cannot ensue. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to say that According to me, the entire education is nothing but a man-making character building process. Man-making character building. This, you have to build your character, not just change the behavior. And that speaks of bottom to top reformation. No reformation can be imposed. The laws of the country, by changing the laws of the country, you can never have heaven on earth. It's impossible. We as a human will find out ways to just deviate, to just adulterate them, deviate those laws. You will find all the isms at last have not given us the fulfillment which we are thinking of, the so-called isms. Because the ghost is within the seed with which you are trying to get rid of the ghost. That within the human heart, that unless that unselfishness which is the real, what you say that you know, the secret behind happiness, we can realize that and we can develop that. There cannot be true happiness. And that's the thing which speaks of bottom to top reformation. 
that un unless we reform ourselves, there cannot be any real reformation outside, however we may try. And Swami Vivekananda is highlighting that, that let as an individual, we all try from that for that bottom to top reformation from inside out, not from outside in. And that's in his word is Atmana Mokshartham Jagatitayacha. Try your, for your own liberation and for the welfare of many. The more we become aware of this fact, the more we become aware of the divinity which is hidden within us and we try to realize it and then let it find expression through our life, the more the goodness need not be planned. Just your existence spontaneously will do good to the world if you can transform yourself. Once you are transformed, the world automatically is going to be benefited by you. That's what Swamiji is indicating by Jagat Hita. First, Atmana Mokshartham. We just think of self-actualization. And that will lead to the self-transcendence. And once that self-transcendence is something which gets manifested through your life, it will spontaneously do good to the all, good to all in general, go to the entire humanity. And that's the message which Swamiji has left us, left for us. He has given us sufficient time, 1,500 years. That's what he's saying, that this message is going to work for the humanity, that the more and more we become aware of this, the more we try to lead our life according to these ideas, the more we realize this, the more we will be reaching towards the fulfillment. So with these few words, I would like to just end our discussion today that, that let we all be inspired by the teachings of Swamiji in such a way that we try, under, try to understand the real purpose of it and try to lead the life according to that so that our personality gets overhauled, we get transformed and we ourselves can enjoy the bliss in life and our existence can become the bliss for all in general. So with these few words, I would like to conclude my discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.